Before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk about our partner for this podcast, BravoPay. BravoPay is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page on their app and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share your Bravo link with others on your social media so that, for the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at app.trybravo.com. I'll also leave a link in the description. You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome everybody to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Tyler Winters, the founder of All Punked Up. I had a fantastic time chatting with Tyler on his beginnings being in a pop-punk band, which almost got signed to Drive Through Records, to how and why he started the online publication. In addition, since this is press, you know what I'm going to say. We talk about submissions, as well as beginning in music journalism. This was such a fun interview, and I hope you will enjoy it as well as I did. I give you Tyler Winters. Hey, Tyler, how are you doing today? Good, Mike. How are you? Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, thanks for having, thanks for being on the podcast. Are you kidding? I, uh, you know, it's funny because I know you've been going back and forth for a little while about jumping on board. And uh, first of all, I wanted to say thank you so much because you've, uh, your your publication has been such an amazing supporter of our artists. So first of all, I want awesome. to thank you so so much for that. It really is uh, an honor and a privilege to having our our uh, artists being featured and guested on on all the things that you do. So thank you so much for that. Absolutely, and and. If you have any other artists that that need some, you know, shout outs, send them our way. Uh, we've liked every artist you've sent our way so far. So, thank you. I really do appreciate that. So, uh, I have to ask, like, are you a musician yourself? Yeah. Um. So back in probably, well, it was the year two thousand. I actually started when I started getting into, you know, the pop punk scene and all that. I decided I wanted to learn how to play guitar. So. My mom got me into to lessons uh, in the year 2000. I was about, let's see, I was 14 at the time. So yeah, I've been playing the guitar since then. Wow, that's amazing. So did you did you get into the guitar because of the fact that you wanted to get more involved with the pop punk scene? Or do you already knew like you wanted to be playing instrument? Yeah, playing? so I've always been into music because um, I remember my sister had such an eclectic you know, collection of music, but I was always drawn to her, her rock collection. And every once in a while I'd come across, like, I I can remember coming across the, I don't, I don't remember if it was the Nevermind cassette from Nirvana, but it may have been just the smells like teen spirit, um, single. And I remember when I found that I played the hell out of that. I just, that thing was constantly on repeat. Um, I was just drawn to that sound. I, I loved Guns N' Roses. I loved the sound of Slash's guitars on, you know, Sweet Child of Mine. I just loved that tone for, for whatever reason. I was always drawn to rock, but it was the guitar tones that just did something for me. So at that, when I was that young, I always, I had seen guitar players, you know, playing on MTV when they played music. And I always thought, man, that looks really cool. One day I want to learn that. Uh, you know, I want to learn how to play guitar. And then I remember 
I remember where I was, 1999. I was in my buddy's uh, living room and Blink-182's What's My Age Again came on the uh, TV. And I was like, what is this? This is awesome. Uh, these guys are sharing my type of humor, which is very immature. They're naked playing guitars or whatever. And I was like, that's it. I'm going to learn how to play guitar. And it was it was then and there uh, that that I learned. And actually, what really kickstarted it is um, it was a talent show in our eighth grade year of grade school. We had a talent show and uh, me and two of my best friends at the time decided we were going to be blink 182 in the in the uh, talent show and we did a uh, it was more of like a lip-syncing deal of all the small things and nice yeah a ton of our friends came out which was great and they cheered for us it was super loud it was it was very uh very satisfying uh to say the least but it was after that show i guess that we were like hey we should really start a band now and so we got into guitar lessons. My buddy got into who was playing Mark Hoppus, got into bass lessons, and my buddy was playing Travis Barker. He got into drum lessons, and right, basically, right after that talent show, we had we had no experience playing music. We decided we're starting a band right there, and then kind of just took off after that. That's amazing. So, okay, so then after talent show, everyone now is taking this seriously and so forth. So, what what did you do next to after taking your lessons and doing rehearsals, were you trying to find shows now? Or are you trying like what was what was the next <laughs> step after that point? Yeah. So, I mean, we slowly uh, you, I, are you a musician? I am. OK, so you know what it's like when you first learn, you know, an instrument. It's slow going at first. But what was great with with our thing is we were all kind of growing together. And so we were all at the same rate, um, but we were always pushing each other. So it basically it was you know, let's learn some songs. Some, I think we started out with like brain stew by green day. It's like the easiest green day song there is. And then one day we realized one of us can play and sing at the same time. So, Oh, this is, this is new because playing guitar and singing at the same time can be, has its challenges at first. And Absolutely. so, yeah. So once we learned we could do that, we we're like, okay, Let's let's see what what the next step is. And then we started writing songs and then, yeah, we started getting shows and gigging. And around that time, it was probably in the, you know, 2002, 2003, the the, the music scene in Springfield, Illinois, where, where I'm from, it was pretty big. And they had I mean, and pop punk slash emo, that sound was very popular at that time. And we had, there was a bunch of bands and it was great. So we'd, we were friends with other bands. We'd play, we'd open for them. They'd open for us. It didn't, didn't really matter. We we're just all having a good time playing shows. And I mean, we were basically in, in thrusted into that whole pop punk scene, loved every band that was coming out on MTV at the time. It was, man, it was such a great time. <laughs> you know, it was funny that you mentioned that because at that time I recently moved to Phoenix recently meaning like a couple of years and I was in high school at the time but that was right in the early 2000s that's for us was when Jimmy Eat World was really you know that's when Bleed American came out that um that's when Linkin Park also came onto the scene too right was right around that time so that was our our pride in Arizona to contribute to the pop punk and uh emo scene um were bands like those more more alter alternative but 
you know, it's it definitely was part of that entire community at that point in time. So I that's how I fell in love with that kind of music was was hearing about Jimmy World and Lincoln Park, especially. And that br- brought me into Blink-182. And, you know, I knew about Green Day already for quite a long time, but right, like really into like the, the new music that was coming out. And in fact, the other funny part is that the first band that A20 Records has ever signed was a pop punk band. That was and, the very and which first band, band was that? It was a band called Click Sixty. Uh, they, okay. They didn't really go anywhere. So, um, but they they've been around for a couple of years when I end up signing them. And I same kind of thing. Like I love their humor. They were just super fun and entertaining up on stage. Uh, their music was super catchy. And uh, so yeah, I that was actually it was really the kind of music that I just really loved. Just that really fun and entertaining, and you know didn't take themselves too seriously. Yeah, kind of carefree. Kind of carefree, but like still, you know, but still wanted to work hard and was motivated to try and make something happen with this. And uh, that's that's who I really uh, kind of cling to. So that was the first band on A20 Records. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, was uh, uh, the 60, was that a nod to Blink-182, the numbers? You know what? Partially, yes. But so there's a couple of stories that they always tell about the, the origins of that name. And they mentioned that one that was one of them was kind of like Blink Blink One Eighty Two is like click sixty like you can click uh, how fast you can click a pen in a like a in a matter <laughs> of a second. Um, nice. But actually, the real story was that they said that when they were in school that there was this kid that would always brag about they always heard like these latest artists, and so they f- they figured they were going to call him out on that. And one time, the the lead singer of the of of you know uh, the lead singer of the band he basically was just hanging out at lunch he's like oh yeah have you heard of this band called click 60 and the kid goes oh yeah i heard about them and blah blah so he just made up a name and caught him <laughs> like that he's f- completely full of it so i think that's one of the reasons why i kind of stuck on was stuck. like he just does just the random name that he came up with to, to kind of get him that's awesome but yeah it's funny to hear about everyone's uh origin stories of the names and sometimes they have a lot of meaning behind them and sometimes they're like yeah we didn't we just we just had to pick a name for the band so this this sounded good so nobody else is using it so here's the name yeah we our name was yeti 242 and the numbers were definitely a nod to to blink Blink. um i think i always said that that's the name where we or that's the time that we came up with the name yeti um but the term yeti came from for us was uh from the movie american pie so i don't rem- know if oh, you really? remember but somebody says dude you smell like a yeti oh and my god for I whatever reason that. yeah <laughs> for, for whatever reason that just <laughs> stuck with our bass player and uh he just would randomly just say the word yeti when he was doing something you know how like kids today say yeet yep. he would he would use yeti instead and we always my other the drummer and I would always kind of look at each other like why, why does he say that that's weird and then one day we're like we need to think of a band name he goes how about yeti I'm like okay yeah that sounds cool it's got some meaning you know uh to us and then for whatever reason I said we should throw some numbers on the on it and it just came up with a random 242 and then it just stuck but so that's amazing I love yeah. I love hearing bands origin stories like that and where the names came from so um so yeah so yeti 242 that was in born and you start gigging and so forth. So at this point, you know, did you have an idea of where you wanted to take this band or are you just kind of just still trying to figure out where you wanted to take it? Dude, I mean, for me, at this point, I knew what I wanted to do for a career. And it was I wanted to tour and make music, make pop punk music. I loved making music. 
um, being in a band is too, is like, I, I grew up kind of a shy kid, um, unless I was around my buddies and, um, then like my true self came out, my true, you know, uh, just outgoing self came out. The person I wanted to be came out. And when I was making music and I was on stage, you know, I was proud of what we we had created. So I wanted to show it off and it was just, there were no walls up, I guess. And it just felt free. So being with my buddies, that's all I really wanted to do. Even when we weren't playing music, just hanging out or whatever, but we had this band and it made us closer and uh, we have had so many memories, all, all kinds of that, all, all of that stuff. But I knew that I wanted to make music and that's what I wanted to do. Um, there was another guy in our, in our band who wanted to do the same. Um, there were two others that were kind of, eh, you know, and everybody's got to be on board for something like this to work, you know? Absolutely. Um, 100%. So we, back in like in 2005, we had our last show as a four piece and, um, I consider that the last Yeti show. Um, and it was right after that, uh, my other guitar player, um, somehow we came across, and there's an episode on the All Punked Up podcast uh, uh, where we, we talk at length about how we got invited by Drive Through Records as Richard Rains to come down or come over to LA and, and talk about, about the band and whatnot. Um, we, we saw that as a sign we're getting signed. Why, why on earth would he, why would he have these Springfield, Illinois kids come all the way to LA and, and whatnot. So anyways, uh, back in 2005, we, it was the summer of 2005. We ended up taking a long trek. It was a two day trek via Greyhound bus. It was wow. terrible. You took the Greyhound bus from Springfield to LA. Yes. And it wow. took it took almost two days to do that. And I if you're interested, who's ever listening, if, if you're interested, go to the All Punked Up podcast and let me see real quick uh what the name of that episode is. It was just a few weeks ago. Sorry. No, you're uh, good. Oh, January the January eleventh episode, one band's wild and crazy journey to get signed by drive through records. Oh, that's so that the was story. That was your story. Okay, so I need yeah. to go back and listen to that episode. Yeah, that is that is our story. Um, so here, let me try to find. Oops, there we go. Sorry, we'll, we'll trying also to find it, you again. For everyone listening, we'll definitely throw it into the show notes so this way you guys can take a look at it. So, because I definitely want them to go ahead and take a listen to that podcast so they can hear more in depth of the journey. So, uh, I guess you know, not to necessarily ruin anything from the episode. Uh, let's let's uh, jump ahead a little bit then. So, um, you know, I guess quick, real quick, what happened? What happened with with drive through without really ruining? Can can you say anything without ruining? Because I want people um, to listen to the episode. I mean, ultimately, we didn't get signed, but the story on how we got Richard's screen name to the story on getting to uh, drive through and the events that happen. All, all all the way to the end is, I mean, I compare it to if the hangover met, you know, the music scene, that's what, what this uh, story is. But okay, so ultimately it, we didn't get signed and it so, was a, it was a gut punch at the time because wow. we all went expecting that 
we are going to get signed by drive through, which was our favorite record label at the time. Um, but, but yeah, it was a, it was a gut punch. And I said it in the, in the episode that, you know, at that time writing was on the wall yet. He was coming to an end. So in 2005, basically that's when, um, shortly after that, maybe a month or two after that, uh, meeting with drive through, we kind of just disbanded. Yeah. Which makes sense. Um, especially at that point in time after that, having that kind of, like you say, because it's so hard when, if you don't have every member that's on board, it becomes not, I mean, when you have successes and you have these opportunities, right, it's, it's usually a lot easier to get people on board, but the, the most telling is at the, at the down points. Cause no matter who you are out there, you will have your highs and you'll have your lows. It's just Absolutely. the nature of what this is like. And right. you have to persevere through the lows. And that can be everything from a band member leaving to an opportunity that na- never came to fruition um, to some sort of, you know, incident or a situation that came came across that that's inevitably going to happen. So really comes down to the perseverance of the band as a core um, to be able to get through those things. Right. Yeah. And that's essentially kind of what happened. There was already turmoil in the band on the, uh, before we made that trek. Um, uh, actually our drummer wasn't part of the the group anymore, unfortunately. Um, but you know, we, we had ended up working through those. He's still my best friend to this day. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, that was when, like, like you said, when, when not everybody's on board, it's almost impossible to make it, to make it work. So then after, after the band has broken up at this point in time, uh, did you know where you wanted to go next? Uh, what, where was your thought process at that point in time? Were you thinking about creating a new band? Were you thinking about getting out of music completely? You know, after the band broke up, I was pretty much devastated, you know, because that's you have an idea of where your future is going or where you want it to go. And then all of a sudden it's not happening uh, the way you you wanted it. Um, so I was kind of put in a place um, where I kind of had to kind of find myself again. And it it was kind of a weird place. So at the time, though, uh, another reason for breaking up, too, is we are kind of coming up to a time where we're already in college at this point. So we need to make the decision. We can't just stay in college, spend all this money and, you know, do nothing with it. We it's time to either go, I guess you could say the corporate route or the band route. And the safest route was for a lot of, for all of us was, you know, the corporate route. Um, so we ended up, I mean, I think college was a big, big part of that. So at that point it was, yeah, trying to figure out what I wanted to study and what I wanted to become, uh, what my, you know, plan B was. So what was your uh, plan B then that you decided upon? I decided that I wanted to be, I always liked helping people. I always feel like I've been a people person. Um, and I, like, like I said, I like helping people. So I wanted to become a counselor. Um, and I ended up becoming a counselor. Uh, I was actually a, a drug and alcohol uh, counselor. And I did that for about, oh, four to five years. And then I decided this isn't, allowing me to be creative. Um, and, and I think that's why I liked being in a band so much because I could write these lyrics. I can write catchy songs, be proud of what I created. I I can't create when I'm a counselor. So I decided, you know, what would I like doing? And I remember, um, you know, back when I was in a band, I, 
had made all the band websites and I managed all the band websites. I was like, well, that was fun. I, I like doing that. Uh, long story short, I decided I want to become a web developer. And so I ended up starting my own uh, web developing business on the side. And then eventually I ended up where I am now um, for, for the full-time gig uh, as a full-time professional web developer. So, oh wow, that's and that allows me to be creative. So I get, you know, I start with a blank, uh, you know, web page. It's just white web page. And I get to throw all the design ideas from our design team out there. And I get to see it from start to finish. That's incredible. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so this is your own, your own company or do you work for another firm? With I, I work for another company. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Town. But that's amazing. It's great to see. I know for myself that when I land, eventually landed on a 20 records, I've also gone through a lot of those, uh, series of what I wanted to do and what I d didn't want to do. So, yeah. uh, many guests on the podcast, uh, know the story. So I'll do the quick, quick version, but before 820 records, I had a website called Indie radio where artists could upload their music for free and we would host our own internet radio stations oh, this nice. was back in the early to mid two thousands when internet radio was a thing. Sure. Was, yeah. I remember. Yeah. I'm sure you do. Cause I'm sure you, you know, we're probably around the same age from what your story is telling me. So, um, this was the days where, Last Night FM was called Audio Scrobbler and Pandora was more known as the Music Genome Project. So it's like okay. before they were really mainstream by any means. So, but it took us a couple of years to build the site out. And uh, by the time we launched it, Pandora and Last FM were huge. And so we decided, my business partner at the time and I decided to pivot. And that's what eventually led us to uh, 8020 Records. But it was the same thing. At that point in time, I was doing technical support. I love doing technical support. I also love to help people, but I wasn't able to be creative and I wanted to do something that could really make a difference and really stand out as far as how I want to stand out. And that was through creating a company that can help creatives. And that's, that's why I kind of fell in love with running record label was I, I like to joke that I get to be creative with people more creative than I am. And that's <laughs> right. Yeah. That's awesome for me. Yeah, I, I just don't think people like you and I who have those creative personalities, we can't we can't not be creative. We have to be doing something um, creative because it's satisfying. And yeah, everyone jokes like, you know, even when uh, we were, you know, during the pandemic time frame, people were asking me questions about what I was up to and so forth. And I would tell them these things and they're saying, you always seem busy I'm like I, yeah, because I'm, I'll always find something to do. If, if I, nothing, if something's not working out, I'll either stop it or put it on hold and then I'll work on something else. Like I will always find something like that's never going to be a problem. I have lists and lists of lists of ideas and I'm just going to pick another one up and then I'm going to start running with that one and see what happens. Like, yeah, I just, no. can't, I just can't stand still and just wait for something to happen. It's like, I'm going to keep on trying things. Yeah, I am the same way. My wife was just telling me, what, two weeks ago, I think. She was like, why don't you just settle down? Why do you have to be doing something? I was like, I don't know. I just feel like I always have to be doing something. I want to feel productive. I don't want to just sit down, you know? So, yeah, I just think it's just that creative personality and you want to always just be doing. Absolutely. So you find your passion for website design. Does Did that lead you into writing about music and, and starting being a music journalist? Was that around the same time? So it, it's so interesting how everything kind of comes full circle, right? <clears throat> so I'm in this band, which was like, meant the world to me. And then I find my passion for, for web development. And 
then I'm able to tie them in together, right? And create all punked up. Uh, but basically I think what we're getting to is how did all punked up start? So one day I'm at work and my buddy, my old guitar player, um, just texted me. He's like, Hey, did you see what happened to absolute punk.net? Like, no, he's like, go to it. I go to it. You go, it redirects to chorus.fm. Like, oh, that's weird. What, what's going on there? So I'm researching the website. I'm like, oh, it looks like he's doing the same thing. It's just he's talking about more than just the punk rock or pop punk slash emo uh, scene and whatnot. So that's cool. So I started thinking, you know, I could imagine that some of the scene kids are kind of, I don't want to say off put, but maybe... Uh, Maybe there's a void, you know, because the absolute punk.net is no longer there, even though this course.fm is very similar. So, you know, I started thinking maybe I could somewhat do what Jason Tate was doing. And basically that's, that was my inspiration. And I remember trying to toy with an idea for a name for, oh, I don't know, a week or two. And then I remember one day I was just laying there and it just came to me all punked up. And so I got out of bed <laughs> I get online. I'm like, allpunkedup.com. Is it available? Yes. Bye. Instagram, nope. all punked up. Twitter. <laughs> yes. Oh, I got to do this. This is okay. it. Okay. That is amazing because that's exactly how A20 Records name came about. Like, it took a little bit longer, but um, same thing. Like, exact same thought process. Okay. Is the domain name available? Great. Is the social media handles available? Great. Okay. Done. That's the name. And I tell that for every single artist when they're trying to figure out a name. The very first thing is, okay, is the domain name available and does anybody else have it on socials? Like that's the, the two biggest things by far about picking a name. Yeah, because you don't want, especially on the socials, not, not just like Twitter and Facebook, but you want to make sure Instagram's available too, because you want the, you want them all to be uniform. You don't want it to be all punked up too. You know, you want it to be like all punked up on each, each one. So it's easier to find, uh, and especially with the domain name. That's, that's just everything, but but yeah, I had to make sure all those were available. And once they were, I, me, no, no, I'm just like, okay, it's a sign. I'm going to go ahead and, and, uh, and gobble these up. So have you, you know, obviously with your web design skills that helped you build out the all punked up website. So, uh, but about writing music, have you ever before, before developing all punked up, were you writing about music, um, beforehand writing about bands and reviewing albums and things like that? No, no. I mean, I've always enjoyed writing. Um, even when I was in college, I even considered, you know, pivoting to a, uh, you know, more journalism type thing. Um, I don't know. I just liked, liked reading. Um, and at that point, I was probably if I did become a journalist, I was probably going to go more into sports because I was big into baseball. Still, I'm big into baseball. Nice. Uh, go Cardinals. Um, and oh, yeah. And so you're from Arizona. So thanks for uh, Goldschmidt there. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, <laughs> no problem. Um, but anyways. Um, but yeah, I've always enjoyed writing. Um, but I yeah, I, before all punked up, I wasn't necessarily writing about um well, I, you know what? I take that back. There was a uh, a country music site that I was. Uh, this goes back to when I was trying to find myself after you know the band broke up. I started getting it more into country music because that's what my wife listened to and stuff like that. And um, I had actually started a a country music news site that was basically the exact same thing as is all punked up, but I didn't keep up on it nearly enough. But then I ended up meeting another. Um, another person who ran another country music site and I started writing for her 
and ultimately after that was up you know basically that's where i i i guess i got my uh writing experience and um so yeah i guess i did that before before all punked up but uh other than that no wow so you you for the most part went in relatively green so yeah did you did you do at the point any kind of uh research or homework on how other people wrote or how journalists write or you just started just started writing so uh, there's not a whole like when i post anything on all punked up there's not a long you know if you go to and, and i'm not knocking anybody for this because i know that this is the typical way that journalists write but if you go to like alt press for instance let's say you know they'll say something along the lines of uh, you you'll never you'll never believe what you know gerard way of my chemical romance said on about this person all right so you, so you click and you're met with you know two paragraphs before you even get to the meat of what you actually clicked on right so my whole idea with all punked up was i just want to give them give the reader what they came for no fluff basically no in between stuff uh, i understand that you know for journalism and stuff there's a big benefit to having a backstory uh, along with the articles that, that you're writing um but i feel like with the attention span of people it, it's not it's not as big as it once was so you know if i see that you know water parks drops a new new song come listen i want to click on that and easily find the you know the link immediately uh, or the audio immediately you know and that's exactly what jason tate at uh, absolutepunk.net did i always thought that was just genius and he was doing that you know in the early 2000s so yep. um i mean i pulled all my inspiration from jason and that's uh that's I just basically what he did is what I did with all punked up. So, but I do allow my writers, uh, contributors on the team, you know, if they want to be creative and they want to add fluff to their articles, by all means, go do it because I do feel like that that brings their personality out in their articles. And I'm definitely not against that. Uh, I just know for me, if I'm pushing most of the, the new stuff out, I don't have time to be you know, writing two or three paragraphs per article. I like to get these things out quick. Um, you know, so. Absolutely. So yeah, Especially I, these days. Absolutely. Yeah, right. So, okay. So you're starting to write now. And so a, a couple of questions I have, cause always, you know, when you're starting a publication, right? So there's two things, uh, about, you know, first of all, you have to find what to write about. Sure. And then how do you get the audience to come to your site to read your articles? Right. Yeah. So, um, so what to write about, basically, I just followed a whole bunch of other publications and whatever they're talking about. That's what I should be talking about. Right. So that part was easy, but how do I grow this thing and let people know that I'm out here? Right. So I had a strategy and I don't know if it necessarily works anymore because, and I'll admit that we've, you know, when it comes to followers on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, we've kind of, I don't want to say plateaued, but we've kind of, yeah, we've kind of plateaued. Our, our growth has become a little bit stale, but I think that's because I don't necessarily push it myself. Um, so I, I think I could uh, get more followers and whatnot, but I'll, I'll just tell you my practice of, of how, how I did it in, uh, in the first, first place. So basically I tried to, I think I mainly started, yeah, I mainly started on Twitter. And what I would do is 
uh, I'd follow like say alt press or whatever. Right. So I'm on the all punked, uh, all punked up account. And what I do is anytime alt press maybe posted about blink 182. Okay. Those are the types of people I want following my publication. Right. I, you know, those are the people that are going to be interested in all punked up. So if they had a, a blink 182 article go out, I would wait a couple minutes and watch the retweets go up and the, the likes go up. And what I do is I'd go in and see who retweeted and who liked, and I would manually go and follow everybody. Right. And I had a system in place because, and this is why I thought this, instead of just going to their followers and just, you know, follow all the way down, just their followers. I figured if the people who retweet and like, those are the ones that are active and engaging. Those are the people I want because if I post something about Blink-182 and they happen to follow me, then they're going to engage more with the tweet or whatever, retweet it, whatever. So I, I had this system in place and it was working. So I noticed people would follow me back and it was a good amount of people. So I would do this for, I did this for years, uh, like a couple times I'd reach the follow limit, like almost daily, right. Uh, growing. So I did this and it worked. Um, uh, so it worked on Twitter. Um, and then I took the same, um, I took the same approach on Instagram and I started, and then I noticed that we actually got more traffic from Instagram for some reason, maybe because Instagram was new at the time and the algorithm just wasn't figured out. Uh, or there may, maybe there really wasn't a strong algorithm at that time to like, uh, you know, punish brands instead of, you know, people or whatever, you know, the pay to pay for play was not a, not a thing on Instagram at this time. So, uh, anytime I'd post, uh, I would just to basically take a screenshot of an article we just put, put up, I'd say link in bio or whatever. And I noticed that that worked and, it got a whole bunch of traffic people coming. So then I started focusing more on Instagram at that time. So, so basically people would think that that's kind of spamming and, and maybe it is uh, to some degree, but I just kind of see it as I'm knocking on somebody's door and I'm saying like, Hey, I'm, I have this thing. If you're interested, you should maybe check it out. And, um, and yeah, so that, that's what I did. So I basically, knocked on people's door by following them on, on socials, let them know that we're there. And if they want to follow, great. If not, well, that sucks, but maybe I'll, I'll probably end up following you again. I'm sure a couple of people got followed more than, you know, two or three times along the way, but, but that's, that's how I grew. And yeah. And I, I paid for a couple ads on Facebook too, and those worked. Um, but that was about it. But that's that's what genius and especially worked back back then. Um, definitely. I mean, we've utilized those strategies as well. And because it wasn't I think you're right. It's, it's a very gray area between being spammy. But the point was that you took the time to find the right people to follow. Right. And there was no and there's no expectation of them following you back. And you're you know, and it's one thing like where some people I've seen where they'll just play these games where they'll follow a whole bunch of people that are irrelevant and then see who follows them back. And then they'll just do a massive unfollow. Right. And just right. trying to play the quote unquote game. It's, it's right. No, you're, you're legitimately trying to reach out to to uh, your uh, audience that, you know, likes what you like and what you're covering and basically connecting with them to letting them know that, hey, I'm creating something that you may also like to. 
Right. Exactly. That that's all. That's all I was doing. Yep. And I think that's that's I think there's that's still a valid point even to this day, whether it's on TikTok or pretty much any any platform, honestly, is that you can still do a lot of things to connect with other, you know, with other people that like what you're doing. And absolutely. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be fans. It could be other other, you know, it could be bands. It could be uh, publications. It could be anybody, really. I think nowadays it's even more important to try to connect with people in all different kinds of ways to just letting them know that you exist and you're doing something. I 100% agree. And that's that's it. Just let them know that you're out there, because if they don't know, you're not going to get the follow. Absolutely. So, all right. So you're building out the the, the publication and um, I'm sure you're getting to the point now where you're getting avid readers coming to the site and so forth and you need to start building out your team. So can you talk a little bit more about uh, what was involved in that process to start building out uh, your team of contributors? Yeah. So basically one person in particular just reached out and she's like, Hey, I want, my goal is one day to write for alt press. And I, she couldn't do that right now. Cause she was in college and she's like, can I write for, for you? I'm like, sure. I, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking for anybody at, at that point. Um, but sure. So, and then eventually, I mean, long story short, then a bunch of other people started coming uh, and knocking on my door saying that they wanted to, to write. And I said, sure. Yeah. So um, I can't remember exactly what I, I think at the time I was trying to get the contributors to write more, you know, like original type content and maybe like lists, like you, you see a whole bunch of list type articles, like um, 10 bands that whatever, uh, or 15 bands that were emo, but now they're country i don't know obviously yeah. you wouldn't see that but uh <laughs> these days you never know <laughs> yeah you never know but um but those types of things and uh reviews and opinion pieces and you name it just other stuff besides the news so that's usually that's kind of what and still to this day that's mainly what our contributors do um but those are basically kind of the ground rules i guess and I mean, I don't necessarily seek people out. Uh, I do have uh, a link on the website that if anybody's interested in writing, they can fill out the form and I'll get that form. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, r really, I wasn't thinking about building out the team. It just kind of happened. That's amazing, especially when, it's, when it happens organically. Right. So, uh, so these days, so let's fast forward now ahead with now that you have a team, what do you now look for um, out of a contributor? So if, let's say somebody did one and go ahead and filled out the form. What are some things that you look for? Well, for one, I would, I do want them to have, uh, one of the questions is, is, you know, what are your social media handles? You know, I want them to have some type of presence on social media because I would expect that if you're writing something, uh, you're going to, you're going to share it because it's all about if you can help me grow or if I can help you grow, I, I hope you can help me grow too. You know, um, that sort of thing. Um, I really would like some writing experience. Uh, usually I can tell though, from the form that they send in right away, if they're able to write. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm pretty lenient and I give almost everybody a chance. Um, I don't think I've brought anybody new on for a while. Uh, even though we've had a few, quite a few submissions over the last few months. Um, but I've, I've come to find out that, you know, over time, a smaller team is a better team. Uh, it doesn't get as, as chaotic. 
Um, so, so yeah, uh, I, one thing I, I, I would like, and I try to tell new contributors is, you know, um, just kind of stick to the expectations. You know, if, if you say that you're going to write once a week or something, please try to stay, uh, on top of that. Um, instead of going like MIA for, you know, two months, three months at a time. And then, you know, cause I, I don't want to give a bunch of people access to the site just to have access to the site. So, um, right. we do have a, um, you know, a Facebook chat that goes on. So if anybody's got any ideas or anything like that, or I have announcements to make the, we, we do have that to kind of keep everybody, uh, on the same page and that stuff. And maybe we should have more meetings and that's, uh, like zoom meetings and stuff like that. I know we've done those in the past and those have been, those have been nice, but, but yeah, I, I, I try to let, I don't like to micromanage basically. And I just want people to be self-motivated. That's the main thing, self-motivation. And that's, that's challenging to do because the, you know, Especially because the fact that they're contributing their time to the publication, it, it does require their own self-discipline to making sure they're on top of those deadlines, um, you know, if, or making sure, like you said, if they're promising that they're going to write on a consistent basis, that they're going to be on top of that and be able to provide that to you. You know, case in point, within A20 Records, we have a fantastic team, um, but you know, it's they're mostly interns is what we have on A20 Records. And same thing is that, you know, I... Have to trust them that they're going to say what they are promising that they're going to do for a twenty. Right. Otherwise, I have to just and either I'm going to end up having to do it myself, and then that kind of defeats the point of having a team. Because, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And same thing. I, I agree. We we meet uh, our team meets uh, biweekly. We do Zoom meetings biweekly to just make sure that everyone's on the same page and everyone knows what's going on. And then uh, try to also make myself as available as possible for each member so that they can learn something from from myself as well. Sure. Um, but it's it's challenging, especially when you develop your team to be larger. Then it's hard to is becomes a lot more challenging to maintain that relationship with that person because now you're you're working with multiple people and now you're working with multiple schedules and you know different situations that everybody is in and you know at some point in time having a larger t- team can ha- be um, self-defeating because now you are spending so much more time just managing the team in, in comparison to just you know managing the site itself in this case exactly exactly 100% so uh, to shift gears a little bit, I want to talk about submissions. So okay. we talked about you know contributors uh, wanting to write for the you know for all punked up, but I want to talk about the people that now submit to all punked up to be uh, featured in your publication. So um, I guess can like I, I, we're gonna have some fun doing the rundown. And yes, I know everyone listening right now, you've heard this ten billion times before. I don't care. This is so important when it comes to uh, submissions. So um, can you do like a couple of key like do's and don'ts as far as uh, submitting, especially specifically to all punked up, but just in general? One of the main I can think of one, and I understand you know from a PR perspective, you got to get the information out there about your band. I get that. But I would just say, make sure the band that you're submitting to the publication fits what the publication covers. I don't know how many country Nashville acts I've gotten, uh, how many like super heavy metal bands that I've gotten. Nothing wrong with those genres. I just don't 
cover, I, I, especially heavy metal and country. I don't, I, I just don't cover. Um, so that would be my first thing is don't just submit just to submit. Um, I, I do. I personally like the, uh, the ones that grab my attention are the ones that say, you know, Hey, all punked up really love what you're doing. Uh, I really liked your article on such and such and then go into your spiel. I like that because it seems more personable. And even if you took the time, even if, even though I know you did a copy paste job on most of your uh, email, just the fact that you wrote those two sentences and made them personable to me, that makes me look at the, uh, um, not only does it make me more so consider putting it on all punked up, but it makes me look at you and your PR firm in a different light as, you know, it, like me, I, like I want to maybe work with these people in the future type deal. So but that's my big thing. Um, it, it, it like it in the submissions, man, I get so many darn submissions and I, I don't know if I want you to put this on there or not. Actually, I don't, I don't really care because I know my contributors, the ones uh, who've been on the team for a long time, they get a bunch of submissions too. And they're usually getting the exact same ones I am, but especially certain public, uh, certain uh, firms that just send so much, most of the time I'm just deleting them. I, I mean, it sounds terrible, but I can't stay up on all of them because it's just coming to me. Right. It's like drinking from a fire hose at that point. It's like you just can't. And and you and that's not your only thing. You know, you have a job and other people have, right. you know, other people have other, you know, other things that they're going in within their life. So it's not just even if even if it was what you do 24 seven it's still impossible to keep up with all the incoming messages that you receive. It's just not possible. Well, also, they don't there's no way they know what's actually all going out to where anyway, you know, they just have an email list and it's just a blast, you know? So I almost don't feel bad deleting most of them and not even reading them. Uh, I'll read like the subject line and I could tell right away if, you know, or the message preview or whatever. And I could tell right away if it's going to be a fit or not, or if it even catches my eye. Um, but yeah, I could just tell when it's just a big old email blast. Like if I get, four from the same company in a day it's like come on like i don't know it's just it, it could just be overwhelming so sometimes it's just best to just do a mass delete from your email and see that notification number go from like 15 to zero you know it, it's that that feels the best <laughs> it times. does because then you feel guilty too that you're like oh man i haven't gotten to this one yet or you know there's these people that are asking for my attention and I, I, I agree. I mean, being on this side, both uh, as a receiver for submissions, as well as somebody who sends out submissions, it's very interesting because I've done both. Right. So what I did have done with some of the people that I really, really like um, that I've, you know, grown, you know, business relationships with, um, and I don't feel like they, you know, flood my emails. Um, I've given them access to the website and said, hey, just post about bands that we, that you know, we cover. And I'll push them out. So I've done that uh, w with a few people. So, so a few PR companies actually have uh, a uh, a login to the site and can um, basically set up drafts. And I'll read them and format them and stuff, and then I'll send them out. That's actually pretty smart because this way you, is already somebody that you've already built trust with, right? And 
instead of you going through the work of reviewing it and co- and confirming it and so forth from them and chances are that that email was lost in the 20 30 40 50 whatever case emails that you received they're able to send it in essentially internally and then you still obviously go through the approval process itself and approving what that is right. making sure it fits if it's a publication and there's nothing wrong with it and then go ahead and send it out because you know already that that if they're sending this over to you that you're most likely going to already cover it because you right. already built that trust with that person right which is honestly very very smart because it's, it's saving you a lot of time that's the main thing it's saving you so much time and for them it's great because again that all, yeah, pra- almost practically guarantees that they're going to get some something through the door and they don't have to continuously follow up with you just just to make sure that you didn't miss that email that was right. originally sent exactly for us you know that's definitely the you know the always been the challenge was okay well you know if you are a beginning artist for example you know take the time to do your homework and research and to you know making sure if you do reach out i mean this is something that we did in the beginning all the time was if it was a specific publication i would check and see okay what have they covered before who are the related artists to uh, to our artists to making sure it's a good match and then making sure that when we send out a message that we are mentioning that the context of oh we really liked your article on such and such we really think that you will like this new release from this artist of ours right and sometimes that works sometimes it doesn't um, but at the very least we're being respectful for the fact that we letting acknowledging the fact that we have done our homework and we are right. reaching out to you for a very you know, for a very specific reason, it's intentful that we're reaching out to you as so in the beginning, there's no question about it. Take the time to, to check it do your research, check these publications, make sure they're the right fit, asking them when you are asking them for something, making sure it's something that they are providing, because if they don't cover music videos or if they don't cover singles, they they may only cover albums, things like that too. If you're asked, if your single comes out and the, you know, the site only covers albums and why you're sending them the single for. They're not right, going exactly. to cover They're it. They're not right? going to take you serious. Yeah. They're not going to take you seriously. When you get bigger, so, and this is where it kind of transitions and the challenge becomes it. When you become, when you are more of a, you know, established presence, such as a PR firm or in this case, specifically for us, a record label, then becomes down to question of, you know, the time that it takes to do all that homework and to do that all research in comparison to the coverage that you're ultimately getting. And then the time it takes to do that. Right. So then that becomes an interesting challenge of, okay, well, we're trying to be as we need to be. It's not even we want to be. We need to be efficient with our time and getting the word out there. But we also have to make sure that we are being respectful and to the people that we're reaching out to. And I think that's always been the line. It's always something that we're constantly working on to trying to be better about because we do some things internally that are automated now. Um, but we do a combination of things where it, some things are automated, some things are not automated, some things are personalized. It just really depends upon the situation. But the core always been is that even through the automated processes – the people that we're reaching out to are people we've already vetted. We already checked all the contacts and making sure, th- you know, what they normally would cover, what are, you know, what are the genres they're covering and so forth. And we keep track of all that information so that when we are reaching out to them, you know, sometimes things will slip through the cracks. It's, you know, that's inevitably going to happen. But we try our best as possible to try to make sure that if we're reaching out to you, that we are intent. We're intending to reach out to you for a very specific reason. Right, right. And that's exactly, I, I 
100% agree there. Um, if you're new to this, taking those extra steps can go a long way and, and help you get to someplace faster. And what's great about that too is that once once you do that, and let's say that that publication covers you, then the likelihood of them covering you again in the future is far greater. Exactly. Exactly. So now, instead of maybe you know reaching out to that publication and taking maybe doing a handful of follow ups to reaching out to them, you may need to just send out one email and they'll immediately respond back to you. I know like some some people I have relationships with where now it's not even an email, it's a Facebook message. And I just say, hey, right. yep. this is coming out, you know, on this date, such and such date, here's the link to the press release. Cool. All right, done. Like literally within two seconds, I can reach out to the person because I already now have a relationship with that person that is just going to go, yep, here you go. Here's everything that you need. And exactly. they'll be like, awesome. Thanks. Exactly. And that's it. And it took, it took no time at all. I didn't have to craft the email. I didn't have to do anything. They just know who I am. And that I now I can just go ahead and, and uh, you know, like I said, Facebook message, text them, whatever the case is, and off it goes. That's, yep, exactly. So um, do you have, um, so a couple of other questions I have for you. So anything that, um, as far as uh, submissions concerned, were there any uh like specific you know, obviously do not mention names but like were there any specific examples of horror stories where it was just like like either so off the mark or like just absolutely did things completely the wrong way you know i i don't have any i don't think besides just and they're not horror stories it's just you can tell the pr firm isn't doing their homework and we don't cover the that type of genre of band that you're you're sending us um and maybe there hasn't been many horror stories because, like I said, I delete a ton of um, of emails uh, throughout the day. So maybe I haven't allowed those horror, horror stories to happen, <laughs> which might be a good thing. That's actually a very good thing. Um, do you have any ones that stand that stood out? Because I know sometimes uh, I've seen uh, whether it's PR firm or bands themselves will go the extra mile and do something that is normally that wouldn't be a normal, even an email submission to get your attention. Have, have you experienced anything like that? Um, I mean, I've had people tag us on, you know, socials and stuff when they're putting stuff out. I always, sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't. Um, if it makes sense, I like it. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give them a like or whatever. Um, let's see anything. I think really just like what I said, like when, because we'll do, we'll get band submissions the same way as, um, you know, that aren't from PR companies where they're like, Hey, I've been following your publication for a long time now. And you could tell that it's very, they had you in mind when they wrote the email. Um, those are the ones that just stand out to me. Uh, and, and that will always catch my attention because I like to, you know, what do I, how do I want to put this? I like to be, um, gosh, what's the word? I, I like to be genuine in a lot of the, the things that I do. And I feel like an email can come off very genuine if you have the person you're writing to in mind while you're writing that email. So sorry, I don't have anything too exciting or juicy to share with that. But no, but honestly, that that is actually even better. Because I think that's important for people to know that because sometimes, 
you know, artists uh, especially may think, okay, well, if to really get their attention, I'm going to have to, you know, do these things. I've, I've heard like, you know, bands where they actually would mail things like syringes and all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh man. Yeah. Like I've like heard all those things and I've, I've tried some things in the past where I would try sending packages over to like, especially the larger publications for sure. Sure. Over across to try to do something that gets their attention. But uh, it's really invigorating to hear from you directly that, at the end of the day, it's just as long as you're being genuine as a person, that chances are that you're going to at least get get your, you know get yourself or somebody on your team to review, you know the you know what is being sent across and not just completely ignoring it. I think that's, you know, that's very endearing because I think sometimes even when you try to be genuine, that you know these you know like especially on your side of the fence, you're getting so many submissions that you just don't have the time to go through them all. But it's good to hear that you really do take that to heart that if somebody took the time to really send you a genuine email showing that they've, they've done their homework or showing their appreciation for what you're doing, that at the very least you're going to take a look at it. Sure. And I think you can agree too, to this, uh, this just came to mind, uh, us both being, having the entrepreneurial, you know, mindset or whatever, we appreciate the hustle. So not only don't only just send the email, hit us up in the DMS, like, show us that you really care. And that also gets my attention when I get an email and then like maybe a couple days later, I'm getting DM'd on the uh, all punked up account or even my personal account. Um, that might be weird for some, but they did their homework and that's going to get my attention too. So as long as it's not obnoxious, I'll, I'll right. Put, oh yes. Yeah. I will put a caveat on that myself is that because I've seen that happen too. And then people are like, Oh, okay, well then I'm going to go ahead and email you. And then I'm also going to mess DM you on, on Instagram and, and all these other public, you know, all these other channels right away and so eventually going to get it. No, that will also kind of annoy us. So right. you really want to like, I'll give, give us some time to get back to you. And if we're not getting back to you and same thing's true with, you know, when we were receiving uh, submissions on the label side, you know, I try my best to get back to people as much as possible, but I'm also running a company and I like, I have to focus on our current artists as well as, yeah. you know, our team, like that is our pr- top has to be our top priority. So I do the best I can to get back to people. And it's very possible that, you know, somebody sends us, you know, somebody reaches out to us and it gets lost in the, in the email chain. It happens like it happens to all of us. Right. Yep. So I don't mind when people follow up. In fact, when they follow up, I actually appreciate the fact because, again, they are very intentful that they want to do something with us. So I do pay attention to those things as well. But what will aggravate me is like literally if like the following day you're sending me a follow up email or that now you're trying to hit me up on all of our different socials. At some point, I'm going to be like, honestly, I'd probably just rather ignore you at that point than trying to to, exactly to do anything with you. Because if that if you're trying to bombard me now it's you're demanding too much of my time. And right. I, I just, at that point, it's better off for me to just completely now ignore it than trying to, to or try then trying to message you because to us, it's just a sign of that. <laughs> that's that you're going to be a challenge to work with. Yeah. I think too. With. Yeah. I think a good rule of thumb is, uh, if you wouldn't want to be bombarded, then, then don't, then don't bar- bombard the other person. So, Treat it as if you were sending, as if, uh, as if they were sending you the emails and the DMs and stuff like that, like what you would appreciate and have that in mind, uh, you know, before you think about your strategy or implement your strategy. 
I I'll 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 tell my little story. I'm actually curious what you think. Um, that we have our I have internally our own rule of thumb as far as outreach is concerned. Um, from talking to lots of different journalists and just our experience over the years. But again, depends upon the urgency. So of course, that's a big factor as far as how often. So for example, if you have something coming up relatively soon, it's okay. You know, I f- find it's okay to follow up a little bit more often. But rule of thumb is that especially if you have let's say you know maybe a month you know, lead time, for example, give or take once a week, max, like one every week, you know, go ahead. It, it, I feel it's fine to send out some follow-ups and stuff like that too. When it gets closer to the, you know, to the time that there's the release, maybe every three to five days and stuff, so forth like that. Um, and usually again, if I'm not getting any kind of response the week of I'll reach out. And then of course the day of I'll reach yeah. out. And then depending upon who it is, if I really, really want their attention, I might hit them up one more time, uh, you know, three to five days after the release. But at that point, if you reached out to them like, you know, three, four or five times by that point and you're not getting you're getting crickets, it's just there are the writings super, on the wall, <laughs> the writings on the wall. They're either not interested or they're just too busy and they're, you know, they're just not going to get to you. And right. that's OK, too. But that's generally at least the way we like to do it, because then is against being respectful for them and their time. I, I feel that most people need a week um, to go through things. Um, so I usually will allow them to you know give them the week to kind of, uh, you know, sift through everything that they need to do and then hopefully you know, get back to us um, after a week's time frame. At that point, either A, they're too busy or B, they forgot about it. So I feel yep. that after a week's time frame, it's fine to reach out to them again. To oh, yeah, them absolutely. And make sure that you're not getting lost, lost in the mix. So right. that's that's what we've learned over the years. But again, you know, it depends upon how, you know, how far out something is that you're trying to reach out to somebody um, as well as, um, you know, as well as the overall, the overall urgency of it and what you're yeah. asking for. Yeah, and I would say too, uh, the follow-up emails do work. Um, there's there's times where I've either one missed an email, or two I've kept it unread because I planned on you know coming back to that email, and then I'll get the I'll get maybe the um, the follow-up, and that'll make me okay. I need to respond now. Um, type type deal. So definitely don't just do it once. Don't just throw out one email. Uh, definitely do the follow-ups, but do it in a way that doesn't seem spammy and, and make sure it comes off in a way that you are respectful and genuine. Absolutely. And it really doesn't take that long. Like, honestly, quick little trick, if anybody doesn't know this yet, is that what you can do is just go back to the original email that you sent and then just reply yep. back to it. And then just it's going to go back up and they're going to see that now there's two emails in the thread. Exactly. I'm telling you that that like you can vouch for it. That works. Yep. And we do that it every does. single time. <laughs> and what's great about it is then then there's that email chain so that you don't have to copy and paste or put anything in there. There that's already in the original email. So exactly. Literally what I'll do, it's 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 so simple. Like I'll legitimately say if I was, for example, reaching out to all punked up, I'll literally say, Hey Tyler, hope everything is going well. Just wanted to check in real quick. Make sure that you got my previous email. If you have any questions, please let me know. Thank you so much for your time, Mike done. Like literally within two minutes, I'm sending back out another follow-up and like sometimes it depends upon who I know too. I'll sometimes even joke about it and being like, Hey, yo, just bumping this back up in the email chain. Like I'll just even (laughs) like call myself out. That's exactly what what I'm doing. I love that. Like, I I would think that you bumping yourself up into the email chain probably gets you more responses than the other one uh, that you do. Um, for instance, and this has been happening uh, recently. Anytime, at least personally for me, when any brand 
does something out of the norm, it makes me want to go support that brand. So here in Springfield, we had a, a winter storm, right? And before, before we started recording, I was telling you how we hit, you know, below zero, we had snow and all kinds of stuff a couple of weeks ago. Well, because of that storm, the Starbucks is here in, in Springfield. They all closed down on Friday because they weren't able to get supplies because of that winter storm. So all the Starbucks in Springfield, Illinois were closed. And I found that out when I went to go get my wife a Starbucks and drove all the way there. They said that all the stores are closed. Well, I get home. And I'm ha- scrolling through Facebook, and uh, one of my friends had posted uh, a, a picture. Okay, so uh, so let me kind of re- rephrase this uh, real quick. So they had the signs on, on the on the door that said that they're closed, and so I called my wife. I'm like, "Hey, they're closed. Sorry, we can't get Starbucks today." And uh, she's like, "Well, why are they closed?" I said, "I don't know." Well, we found out it was a storm because. Starbucks had put out a graphic with their logo on it. It was a green background. They explained uh, on the graphic why they're closed. Well, a local coffee shop in town did the exact same thing with their logo with an orange background because it fit their logo and everything. And it said in like the same font, instead of saying they're closed, they said, we're open because we buy all our supplies locally. And also go check out the other local coffee shop because they're open too. And I, that just made me want to go to that place and and support them because I just thought that's genius and they're it's not how you think of a brand to act um, because you know you got to be professional and all that but I I absolutely love it and I've been seeing that lately like even like the Wendy's uh, uh, social media person on Twitter like oh yeah she'll, she'll kudos go crazy. to that person <laughs> yeah but that makes you want to at least it makes me want to go support Wendy's because. I don't know. It's just, there's just something about it. I, I don't know. It, I, I just, I just like uh, seeing, seeing people do something maybe a little bit different to get uh, attention. And I kind of want to reward that, I guess. Because you know why? Because even though, even though you're taking like a slight little jab at the competition, it, it is done in, in, in fun. If, right. If, if exactly. Right. It's very it's very playful. So the local coffee shops taking a little jab at Starbucks because of the fact that they were closed and they support local, you know, that was a, just a friendly jab to fa- saying, hey, because of the fact that we're that we support local businesses is the reason why we're open. And by the way, we're open. Right. It's like it's their way of marketing to people saying, yes, you right. can come here to, to have coffee. And it's a little bit jab at Star- Starbucks for not supporting as much locally. But right. It, but they did it in a way where it wasn't you know, to berate Starbucks, it was just a friendly little, like, you know, friendly little right. nudge. And that same thing is true with Wendy's, right? It's like, they'll do that all the time where they'll have fun with the competition and they'll roast people and it's out of, you know, it's out of fun and people have a good laugh out of it, out of it. But, you know, that's the thing. It's like, these are, you know, even though businesses, businesses are our livelihoods, they are jobs and so forth. You got to have fun with it. Exactly. I mean, you know, exactly. You have, to, you, you have to enjoy it. Um, If, if it makes to- you feel like, like I, I know a business is a business, but is is if you can humanize it to some degree, it just makes it that much better. I just watched a documentary that was about the war between a Pepsi and Coca Cola, and that's a war that's been going on for decades. And you know, and they still say like it's still an all good fun, but they say like every day, like you know, for a long time they were like going into the war room and where they're trying to figure out how to outdo each other, <laughs> but. 
they but the way they did it was you know was even though it was they consider it to be a war at the same token they knew that it was still a friendly you know a competition it's to some to some degree right right where they were literally trying to take take each other's market shares and i think i really appreciate that fact is when you know where you can take you know you can take these little jabs and maybe be a little bit playful but you know knowing that you know it, it's supposed to be you know a almost like a good sportsmanship competition and you're trying right. to outbest the other person because you want to persevere and you know and you want to do better but at the same token too you're you're still having some fun with it right exactly exactly so um for anybody who wants to uh essentially start their own um publication or just to start writing um about uh music um if you were to sum it up into one piece of advice now that you've done this done this for several years now what piece of advice would you give to that person well i definitely make sure that i was passionate about what i'm doing because if you do anything for too long if you're not passionate about it it's just not going to stick you know and uh come up with a game plan uh at the beginning i just kind of just wung it um so make sure you love what you're doing whatever it is that you do if it's a publication or going to college make sure that you are studying or doing something that you really truly love doing because if you have to do it every day um you don't want it to feel like a job uh for one you want to be able to look forward uh to work i can say uh for my main gig being a web developer i do not dread monday mornings at all um, I, I love going, going to work and creating, um, that's just what I love. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that could go, that, that piece of advice can go across the board, not just into, you know, all punked up or any type of music publications or anything like that. Um, but if you did want to do an online music publication, I would definitely recommend getting some type of, um, maybe web development experience so you can kind of do things on the cheap. Um, but yeah, have fun with it. Um, but just know that, uh, doing a web, uh, pu uh, music publication, it's not, you know, when I first started, I thought, you know, it only takes me and I've told the contributors this too, for the way that I do my articles, it only, I could probably whip out 10 articles in, in what I call articles. I mean, they're like one sentence things, you know? Um, I can whip out 10 articles in, you know, less than 10 minutes, but, you know, so it doesn't take, take long for me to, you know, give all punked up my attention, but there's so many other things that I need to pay attention to, not just the site. There's the podcast, there's the email newsletter, there's all of the social media stuff that that takes time. You can't ignore that for too long. Um, there's just a whole lot of stuff that goes into it. And then if you have a team you have to try to keep them motivated and interested in the site. I mean, there's just a whole list of things um, that come along with running a publication. Another thing, too, that I've kind of come across is, you know, I've been running All Punked Up for five years, doing the exact same thing for five years in terms of that site. And it does become exhausting, even if you just spend, you know, 30 minutes on the site a day just putting out um articles it becomes exhausting um so just be aware of that and ha have uh, you know a game plan in place for when you do feel that way so you could just kind of keep 
going, maybe find some type of way to, I don't know, prioritize your time so you don't feel so overwhelmed at times. But uh, ultimately, it's been fun. I've gotten to, because I've ran all punked up for as long as I've done, I've come across some awesome people, uh, have become friends with uh, awesome people, have gotten to interview some awesome people. So uh, it's been fun so far. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I do really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. It, it was fun. Thank you so much for listening to the AD20 show. To learn more about AD20 Records, you can check us out on pretty much any social media at 8020records or visit our website at www.8020records.com. Until next time, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.